Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast that explores compelling themes in some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Brittany. I'm Chris. And this week, we're talking about war in Star Wars. So this one is an interesting topic to discuss about our own personal lives, because Mm -hmm. we've been privileged enough to grow up in America when the only wars that we've faced have been fought on other countries' soil. Yeah, for sure. But how have you engaged with the reality or the thought of war in your life? Hmm, that's an interesting question. I think it's something that's like kind of interested me to some degree since I was younger. Obviously, it's in a lot of movies and shows and stuff. It's there's mm. so often conflict that centers around war. And then once I got older and actually cared about history, learning about war and learning about atrocities that are done in war, I think much more so than just these ideas of there's the good side and the bad side and we're Americans, so we're always on the good side Mm. and all of that. But actually seeing a lot more nuance and seeing reasons for, you know, why people are going to war and then I think... You know, those are all more conceptual things. Mm. I think, yeah, I've never really had to face the fear of what war here would look like. And partially because of that, it makes me so upset when people here are such a supporter of these ideas of going to war and like, oh, something should be done and we should do something when the people who are suffering from it are all others and any time in the recent past the people who are suffering from it are all people of color in other countries that we have exploited you mm-hmm. know so yes yeah, it's, it's it's a difficult issue and since I'm a pacifist it's definitely not something I'm a fan of in any way shape or form totally so, yeah yeah, it's a uh, it's an interesting time to be talking about this too because you know yeah. with the escalations going on with Iran right now, and I tend to also be against the idea of going to war and making having military responses to things, and I certainly feel that way with with Iran. But it also I, I sometimes have to even check myself to remember like just because we are the often the aggressor and the military certainly the the military stronghold that is going to have way more military power which makes us in large ways yeah colonial and and oppressive in so many ways i also have been challenged recently with with what's going on in iran to need to make sure i'm recognizing that there are decisions and there is are things going on in the region that are problematic and what are the best ways to to handle that? And I don't think war is the best way of doing so. I don't think that mm-hmm. military maneuver is the best way of doing so. But it's just a scary time, and particularly with an administration that is so gung-ho about going to war with Iran. Yeah. It's uh, something that, that I really hope that we, we don't go into. America is doing so much right now that's awful, and it's just, uh, it's really depressing. Yeah, it's, it's really difficult to think about because it's, ugh, it's just... No. Well, maybe it'll, On that it'll, maybe it'll be note. a little less depressing if we talk about wars amongst the stars. Oh, gosh. Or it's more depressing because <laughs> of that joke. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's open our episode with a quote. And this quote comes from Attack of the Clones, episode two. 
And it's after the Battle of Genosis. And basically, Obi-Wan is talking to Yoda and saying, like, hey, it's so good that the clones were here, else we wouldn't have won. And then Yoda responds. Victory. Victory, you say? Master Obi-Wan, not victory. The Shroud of the Dark Side has fallen. Begun, the Clone War has. So we thought this was a good quote because it kind of from the beginning of of the Clone War, seeing Yoda's perspective as the idea of going to war in and of itself is losing and challenging this idea that, oh, we won, we had victory because we won this battle. But Yoda sees it as the fact that we had the battle in the first place shows that we failed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, which I like. Mm-hmm. It's true. Totally. If you have to resort to violence, it's like you already failed. Which, you know, you, you don't see a lot of in our media landscape, right? Where... What? Yeah. <laughs> America like, doesn't like to talk about war as this glorified self-righteous thing? It really doesn't, no. Oh. So, yeah, I, I think that having um, at least an element of that as part of the philosophy of the Jedi is important. Whether they follow through on it is another question. <laughs> but uh, I, I like that as a, as a starting point for us today. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what character do you have? I decided to talk about Padme Amidala. Okay, great. Because I think Padme is the only character in the series who her entire motivation throughout her episodes is avoiding war. Mm-hmm. In the original trilogy, they're already in a war at the beginning of it. I guess you could say that Han avoids war until he becomes a commander himself. But Padme never, never does that turn. So she maintains her status as a politician, even though at the end of episode two, she's at least using a blaster alongside Obi-Wan and Anakin. But, mm-hmm. you know, her attempts and, and what she decides to do is always about trying to maintain and work for peace and avoid escalation of conflict. And that's true to the very end. And I think that's why her getting the the classic line of this is how the Republic dies, this is how democracy mm-hmm. dies, is important because... She's been the one fighting it, and she's been fighting against this movement within the population, within people who are able to be manipulated into going to war in ways that she was fighting against. And I think that that's really, really cool to have a character like that, right? Mm. I, I I almost wish that she wasn't an effective combatant in the second movie, because that's not why Is she's... She She's well enough to that she, she like kind of climbs up on her chain and stuff. Oh, and when she, her her clothes so perfectly like rips right across her midriff. Got to get that midriff. Yeah. Yeah, and so I almost wish that that in that scene she didn't have to be a combatant alongside them, right? Mm-hmm. Not not to say that they're it's not great to have female combatants. I think that, that is yeah. is good representation. But I think having any character who they're perspective is a more pacifist one. They are Mm -hmm. someone who's not just going to resort to violence, but is going to fight till the end to avoid that. In episode one, she's fighting with this idea of whether or not to surrender to the Trade Federation, you know, to go to war or to surrender or to run away or whatever else it might be, right? Mm -hmm. And and so she's dealing with these these very hard questions, which I, I appreciate. And again, I wish there was more time given to but yeah. I think that when it comes to, to war, war is so constant throughout these movies. And she is a character who fights against that trend mm-hmm. in ways that even the Jedi who claim to do don't really do. 
the Jedi become commanders in this war. And that's not what she's about. She's about negotiation with the Separatists. She's about ensuring that we aren't escalating and building more armies and things like that. And and, and I think that that is, is really cool. And uh, mm-hmm. I really admire that about her character. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think... I think it's it's hard, too, because I feel like... And maybe it was just when I watched these movies, I was young. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't see that mu- come out as much as I think I would have liked to or I would like to now. But, yeah, it seems like so much of that is sometimes just kind of eclipsed by, like, the romance and, like, mm. this forbidden love and what's going to happen with that. And she's eventually going to be the mother of Luke and Leia. And so I don't know if, yeah, that is usually what comes to people's mind when they think of her character. But I think it is an integral part to her character, and it probably should be. Mm. And and so it, it maybe should have been done better. Or, yeah, maybe my views of it are, are colored more by being a kid when it when it came out no I, I think you're right because her arc in episode two is she's fighting against the escalation bill and then she has to be shepherded away for her protection and she fights against that for a little bit but then the rest of the movie is her hiding making out with anakin and then <laughs> going on his mission to Geonosis, right? Where he's getting called by Obi-Wan and she goes along with him. But mm-hmm. she's not doing that. She she no longer has her own motivation outside of being next to Anakin. Yeah. And that sucks. Conclusion. Conclusion. That sucks. That sucks. Patriarchy bad. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the only two words we need. <laughs> exactly. Well, what um. plot point did you bring for us with war and Star Wars? So it's actually hard for me to decide because it's like every single Star Wars movie is dealing with war to Mm. some degree or another, mostly to a very large degree. So I I sort of went in a slightly different direction, not not talking about any specifics of the wars that are happening, Mm. but rather the impact war has on relationships. Mm. And honestly... I have more questions than I have conclusions. So part of me was thinking, okay, so all of these different people, most of them are in like war zones. Most of them are living through times of war, having these basically military soldiers marching around all the time with their weapons and and everything on a variety of different planets and having these spaceships of war all over the place as well. Mm-hmm. And so part of me was like, would this make sense to have any impact on like why different characters in the series seem to feel connected to each other so fast, as fast as a Disney princess movie, you know? Mm-hmm. Luke's connection to Obi-Wan. It's like they knew each other for one day. Or Luke literally calls him the wrong name throughout the series. His name is not Ben. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And even in the new movies, Ray and Finn or mm. Finn and Rose or whoever it is that they just supposedly like make these connections super fast and then are very attached to them. And so I was like, would that be any reason like this kind of urgency of you hold on to whatever you can while you have it because y'all could be dead tomorrow, you know? But wouldn't that also make people more distrusting mm. because it's war? And, you know, they could be spies. Not that that ever 
pans out, which it should. Uh, Doesn't the comics. <laughs> or if people would just be more cautious to get involved at all mm. because they know if I form an attachment to this person, they might just get killed. At least that's probably how I would be. But then I was thinking about there are other elements that I think you could make the argument could be an impact on people's relationships from this war experiences the characters have gone through. And that would be like Luke completely secluding himself Mm. and symptoms of withdrawal or avoidance are common with PTSD and things like that. So you could make the argument, but it's not evident. It's not automatically there, I don't think. Mm -hmm. And then you could also have that with Han and Leia because Mm. obviously their marriage fell apart. And it seems like, oh, well, their marriage fell apart after their son turned to the dark side. But that's also a common thing of of people coming back from warfare, problems in intimate relationships Mm. and family relationships. And I think it would have been so interesting for them to delve into that more, how that affected parenting and all of these things, because these things should be affecting the characters a lot and their relationships. But I don't know that I always see it that way. Yeah, that'd be really interesting to see, especially Luke's character and his mistakes with Kylo coming mm-hmm. from his own trauma and his own ways, uh, ability or inability to deal with that trauma. Um, I think that would be that would be an interesting take on that. And it'd be mm-hmm. interesting to, to kind of see a more intentional look at that. Yeah, so I kind of want to watch him again and, and think about it. Well, you're getting to the takeaway, so. <laughs> I already covered my takeaway. <laughs> <laughs> well, how about we move on to our actual compelling questions? Okay. So what's yours? So my question is, in the original trilogy, do you think the Empire sees themselves as being at war? Uh, I don't think that they see themselves being at war. Well, I don't know. It's hard. They probably see themselves as having won and now they're just putting out smaller fires to maintain the control that they have and to solidify the control that they have. Mm. They're investing more in weapons of mass destruction. Yeah, that's kind of the way I definitely saw it at first too, right? Where I was thinking about with, you know, the propaganda that they have at home and things like that. Like, to say that they're at war with the rebels in some ways gives legitimacy to the rebels, Mm -hmm. right? And that doesn't seem like something the Empire would do, particularly with this idea of a male human-centered idea of strength encapsulated in the Emperor. And I think that, uh, that yeah, there's it makes a lot of sense for them to not see it as a war, but as kind of putting out fires and dealing with the aftermaths of, of their conquest or whatever it might be. But then I started thinking also about how we ha- are, have been in perpetual war since you know, 9-11 here in the United States. And we haven't always directed that war at a nation state, the way that wars traditionally have been for a long time, right? Where mm-hmm. you go to war with another group, whether it be a nation state or society or what have you. And in so doing, you are, again, giving a kind of legitimacy to that group, right? Or you're, you're at least claiming that this other group exists and, and legitimizing their existence in that way. And our modern war is not about that. It's not about us going to war with a specific group necessarily. We say it's a war on terrorism. Mm-hmm. This kind of broader idea of what 
what we're going against. And obviously, that doesn't mean it's not directed at countries like Afghanistan or Iraq or many other countries that we have military exercises within. But the concept of the war, the framing of the war, is so much more broad. And I wonder if that's how the Empire might also frame it, as they're at war against they probably wouldn't say use the words rebellion. They'd use words like terrorists or or something like that. Well, yeah, it's interesting because I guess some of the question is, when do people see things as war and when do they not? Mm-hmm. Because do people see things as war only when they make an official statement about it? It's strange because in the Star Wars universe, the entire governmental system, the Galactic Senate, has been completely taken over <laughs> by mm. the Empire. And so it's interesting because, for example, here, people might talk about things that the government would do against urban communities or something. Like, they could kind of frame it in similar ways. But I don't think that the people in power would ever state it that mm. way. It's the people who are having the violence against them done, mm. right? That. I, I don't know that that's just kind of something that a way that I would think about it. And so to me, it seems like the top people would see it as these little rebellions are so insignificant that it wouldn't be warfare and wouldn't officially be war. But I kind of wonder what the stormtroopers would feel mm. or people who would be more on the ground with it and and if they would consider it war. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, what about you? What's your compelling question? So my compelling question is, what is the underlying causes of the wars in Star Wars? Mm, interesting question. Well, the first thing that comes to mind is systems of government. Because in the original trilogy, we have fighting against a dictatorship, right? A totalitarian dictatorship. And then in the prequel trilogies, we see a civil war because of the desire against being part of a confederation, against being part of a um, representative government that contains bureaucracy and instead a desire for sovereignty within mm-hmm. planets uh, and systems. Obviously, that's being manipulated by you know shadowy figures in the background, but that's what those who are actually fighting in the war, for the most part, are fighting for. Uh, And a lot of that also, of course, has to do with trade. I think Mm -hmm. it's no small part that the soldiers for the Separatists are Trade Federation-esque battle droids, right? These are things that are created as part of the armies of businesses and corporations, not necessarily planets. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that kind of wider idea of what it means to govern is interesting. But I think that in both cases, another aspect is that kind of idea of self-determination and how much control can you have over your own community or society in an interconnected, you know, not globalized, but galacticized (laughs) universe. Hashtag galacticized. Hashtag galacticized. What were you thinking? Well, yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with any of it. I mean, obviously, I think kind of the biggest underlying thread would be power Mm. right so it's whether it's power over trade or power over bodies or power over whatever it's people wanting power over it and other people wanting to resist that power being taken away from them or being uh held over them and so 
yeah, it was just something that I was kind of thinking about in terms of if kind of these causes for war are in in Star Wars are almost seen in this kind of western centric way to look at war. I don't know, like just harking back to expansion narratives and, you know, like with World War II history or things like that, or the people who are behind instigating these wars being these select small number of powerful people, and then kind of overlooking other aspects of war that I think would really enrich this story. So like two oppressed groups going to war based on water scarcity or food scarcity or different resource scarcity that has happened because of those in power. Mm. And we don't ever really see that. It's kind of like the ultimate big top boss people kind of searching for power and other people trying to resist rather than the effects that that kind of centralized power would have on other oppressed groups that they just don't care about. Yeah, that's so interesting because we don't see in the movies themselves really much imperial oppression. The, the, Mm -hmm. The rebellion has begun well before Alderaan is destroyed. Yeah. Which is the first time we see, oh, this is why they're the, they're the bad people, right? This is why they're the <laughs> villains. Uh, that we see that on, on, on camera in the original trilogy. And, you know, I guess we see a bit in Solo of the Wookiee slaves, but... Yeah, I mean, and, and, and that mining planet, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you see it a lot more in Solo than any other movie. Agreed. But, yeah, we don't see a lot of that, what it means to live under the Empire throughout and, and where yeah, that comes Yeah, the Ewoks from. seem like they were happy and fine. Well, that wasn't really an Imperial planet until very recently, I think. I mean, well, they were actually also fighting against them, right? They had started no, building all these they were, and stuff. but that's the thing. It's like we don't actually see yeah. any of it happen. We we know for some reason they want to fight against mm-hmm. this, but we don't know why. That's true. Yeah, it, your, your idea of power is really interesting to me because it started making me think about how in the prequel trilogy, we see the Jedi going to war and leading the Galactic Republic's forces. But I, I was thinking, why are the Jedi fighting this war? And mm-hmm. would the Jedi fight this war if not for the fact that they realize that whoever is behind the scenes of the Separatist movement, and really both sides of the movement, but they don't know that, is a Sith. And is, mm-hmm. is this dark side of the force. If they didn't realize that that was the case, and if Dooku hadn't, you know, captured Obi-Wan and Anakin, and then they needed to be rescued in episode two at Geonosis, would the Jedi have cared about this war, right? Or would yeah. they have let it go? Because if the Separatists weren't attacking, if they were just kind of trying to get their own self-determination and the Republic fought against their, their doing so, I would hope that the Jedi would stay neutral in that. Maybe work as negotiators, but not soldiers or mm-hmm. commanders. Mm-hmm. And so, to me, it does sound like a power struggle against the Sith. You know, the dark side itself is creeping in, and that's who they have to fight against. And the war itself is just a game within that larger struggle for power. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's it is kind of weird to think of the Jedi as just super powered soldiers. Mm-hmm. I don't think they would like that, but. It is kind of what, what they, they are. Do. Again, this is this, this is why like I get the failure of the Jedi, and that failure of the Jedi was, in some There's ways, so much failure manipulated by the Sith. But 
in a lot of ways, they they still made the decision to fall into that trap to yeah. become a gross version of what they were supposed to be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I guess we should go to our missed opportunities. Yeah, so what's yours? Uh, my missed opportunity is kind of what we were talking about earlier, where I would have loved to see more of the home front of any of these wars. Mm-hmm. I would love to see, in particular in the Empire, what it looks like for those living within the Empire to experience rebellions and wars and things like that, right? Mm-hmm. And how that propaganda is done. I think that the Empire certainly is very fascistic in a lot of its ways. And I would love to, see, and, and so much of fascism comes from messaging to your own people, right? It has to be who's the in and who's the out, right? Who can we other and how do we maintain our support in order to do that? And I would love to see more of how the empire works on that. Who they're othering, are they othering things in just extermination focus or are they othering things in war or in carrying down rebellions or whatever else it might be? How does that look? Mm-hmm. And like you were talking about earlier with stormtroopers, right? What does it look like? What is the messaging for recruitment of stormtroopers? Because clearly they mm-hmm. have a huge mess- uh, uh, recruitment need. Is that a required service, right? Is there a kind of draft or is it is it voluntary? If it's voluntary, what are the messaging that they have for mm-hmm. why they need soldiers if they aren't claiming they're at war, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, and it's interesting because with the exception of episode eight and and Canto Bite, you never see anyone who's really benefiting from mm. it on the imperial side. You don't even really see the benefits of the top people. <laughs> you know, it's not like they don't seem very happy. <laughs> they, don't, <laughs> they don't seem very happy. They don't even seem like they have a very lavish life. But wouldn't they? You know, I I just think about how in in the Hunger Games how they talk about the opulence and the lavishness of even just dinner, you mm. know, and what that is. But you never get to see that. And so it's just kind of like, what is this power and control actually gaining them in their lives? Why do we never see imperial banquets? Why do we never see the imperial massage therapist that mm. is there for any hour of the day? You know, like we never see these things. And so it almost makes it seem like there's somewhat of an equality between the rebellion and the empire which there isn't Mm. the empire is on the top and they have all of the resources in the galaxy pretty much and and you don't really see that yeah that's so true yeah yeah Hmm. so my missed opportunity is a lot of things Basically, I'm sorry. This entire conversation for me has been missed opportunities after missed opportunities. Mm. But I mean, I think that's part of it's like war is so integral to these things, but I don't think that they always do war well or in a good nuanced way that is bringing up these interesting facets of war. And Mm -hmm. so for me, the biggest missed opportunity is that there doesn't seem to be any lasting effects of mm-hmm. warfare. There's doesn't seem to be any lasting effects of trauma. The only character that even seems to grieve for more than a couple minutes is Rose, right? When her sister is, is killed. And yeah, there doesn't seem to be any of these things. And there's there's no just sudden, unexpected deaths without final words or final acts there's no 
real disability that you actually see people have to live after those things who can't afford robotic hands or whatever it is to replace those things. Or even struggle with what it means to have a robotic appendage, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And not that I want to see these things, but historically rape has been such a huge part of warfare and for it to be ignored also, I feel like, is problematic. Mm. Uh, not that I necessarily trust that they would have done it well, so it's probably better that it's not in there, so but true. it still is this kind of missed thing. I mean, and you kind of have like, oh, maybe that's what happened to Leo when they were being tortured and Empire Strikes Back, but nothing's ever said about it, and it doesn't seem like she has any lasting effects mm -hmm. of whatever happened to her. And in torture in general, Han doesn't seem to have any lasting effects. Chewie doesn't. And even though I did appreciate that in Rogue One they had the character of Bodhi actually undergo torture and I appreciated that it was kind of a statement that this Middle Eastern man was being tortured which is what the United States does mm. and absolutely should never ever happen but even that like, we didn't get to see any lasting effects because he didn't survive right and so since these things are so integral to our modern, well, and historical warfare, I think it's, yeah, it's a real missed opportunity for a series that completely centers around war to not have the most destructive elements of war that last past whatever battles that people are in. Yeah, totally. I, I completely agree. Yeah. Well, that's going to take me to my takeaway. <laughs> okay, what's your takeaway? Because I think my takeaway is that we kind of started this conversation talking about war's representation in the media, right? Mm -hmm. And how it's kind of ubiquitous and how it's everywhere and it kind of affects us in so many ways. And I feel like Star Wars, in the most meta way possible, is a reflection of that. Because they call themselves Star Wars, right? <laughs> that names, they put wars in the name. When you could argue there's not even one war in the original Star Wars, right? Mm. And... So is that a marketing tactic? Is that a way of, of saying, you know, these battles, they, these fun science fiction type of space fleets and things like that, fighting against each other, you know, these, these space wizards, the, <laughs> these are fun. And because our culture puts war in this romanticized, oftentimes fun perspective, or, I don't know if fun would be the right word, but at least entertaining. That's a better way, yeah. Entertaining perspective. Star Wars itself, kind of an amazing example of that. Because in so many ways that you just pointed out, they don't handle war responsibly. You could also argue they don't handle stars responsibly. Right? It's pretty, pretty low sci-fi. There's also a lot of sound in space. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we still don't understand how fast and light travel works other than stars go... Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> After you punch it. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that it's interesting to think about Star Wars and think about it if it was framed just even to the title differently, mm -hmm. right? As not being about war, but being about rebellion or about something else that is more true to the themes of the, the movies. Well, and then I think that also goes into having it in the title of of the series makes it almost like have a free pass mm. where 
we don't necessarily need to go into great depths about any of these things or give valid, logical, understandable reasons for why these different sides are doing what they're doing or why different planets are choosing what they're choosing Mm. because it's just, it's a given. It's like, oh, they're at war. It's like, but but why? But it's in the name, so. That's a really good point. You expect it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. like they might be kind of subtextually giving the argument that this is just living within the war and this is you know we don't have to establish the war because this is just within it but they don't don't do that very well either or, or they they clearly have a number of missed opportunities in <laughs> that realm yeah yeah for sure so what's your takeaway then i think mine is that i would like to rewatch this series and see if I was missing things Mm. or if there are opportunities from the plot or from the characters that could be seen and read through a different lens of warfare and and after effects. I'm a little skeptical how much I'll find them I'm sure that there are things that I I would I could think about it a different way that I I wouldn't have wouldn't have thought of that way before. So, yeah, I think that'll be my takeaway is what subtle messages are there whether it's there in a positive way or it's there in a negative way because in general I don't always analyze that well enough as I should in in regards to movies that deal with war mm. and and I think it'll be interesting to do so yeah yeah sounds like we got a Star Wars rewatch ahead of us <laughs> we have a lot of rewatches <laughs> and rereads that's true it's always so fun well why don't we wrap up our discussion on Star Wars and talk about what we'll be talking about next week <laughs> oh that voice <laughs> <laughs> so Next week, we'll be back to Harry Potter. We will. Yes. And we are going to look at courage. Courage in Harry Potter. Do yeah. we just do courage in, courage in Lord, Lord of the Rings? Lord of the Rings. So it'll be good to contrast the two. Uh, mm-hmm. See, see mm-hmm. or see them overlapping or, or, they, or they do not. And if you only know Harry Potter and you don't know Lord of the Rings, well, it's time for you to watch Lord of the Rings. That's accurate. You can do that by next week. <laughs> All ten and a half hours. Oh, that sounds delightful, actually. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Geek Between the Lines. You can find us on social media by searching for Geek Between the Lines on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or Pinterest. You can also go to our website, bit.ly slash geekbetweenthelines or go to our Patreon site at patreon.com slash geekbetweenthelines. There's actually been a really amazing, lively discussion there with our patrons. So uh, mm-hmm. not only does that give you access to more content uh, at different levels, but it also can help you get a great place to join the community and engage in more discussion about the kinds of things that we talk about here on the podcast. You don't even have to become a patron to engage in some of those discussions that we're having anyway. But you should. I mean, yeah, sure. (laughs) And for all of our current patrons, we have put up our first Geeky Childhood Memories episode. And if you haven't listened to it, just letting you know it's there. Yeah. If you aren't able to support us financially, you could still support us by giving us a review on one of our podcatchers, particularly in Apple Podcasts, but wherever you find your podcasts, it's really helpful for us to give get those reviews because it helps us find new listeners. So if you could just take a couple minutes to leave us a quick review, uh, I think we're worth five stars, but 
you know, it's up to you, whatever you want to leave, it would be really, really beneficial. We also want to thank Kimbo Toe Pastel, as always, for designing our logo. You can find her designs at lacelet.com or for searching for lacelet on Instagram or Facebook. With that, we're going to wrap up this week. Until next week, geek out! out.